Pro Talk with ProTech, digging deep to learn the stories, lessons, and accomplishments of experts in the real estate industry. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pro Talk with ProTech. Today we get to meet real estate agent Harrison Beecher with Coalition Properties Group with Keller Williams Capital Properties. It's so nice to see you, Harrison. How are you? Doing well. Good morning, Lexi. Good morning. Uh, so to get things started, we want to hear uh, kind of your story and how you became um, how you became a real estate agent. Um, how did you end up sort of um, developing and growing the team that you're with now? Um, and you know where where did it all start? For sure. So for me, it's a story of kind of entrepreneurial hustle, um, not really having a backup plan to be honest. Uh, I graduated college in May of 2008 from Georgetown. I was working at bars, DJing, bouncing, doing a lot of stuff to just pay the bills. And my best friend's mother, a lady named Sherry Sivertson, was a broker, and she was like, "You know what? You've been around a while. You've got a good network. I, th- I think you should try this." And I had always been attracted to like entrepreneurial stuff. Um, like as an example, as a sophomore, while still playing football and working at the bar, my buddy and I started this website called GUCollegeSupplies.com. Mm-hmm. This was pre-Amazon, and uh, you know. Prissy kids at Georgetown are too good to go to Walmart or go anywhere. <laughs> so we're like, how do we provide products that can, you know, help? So we were selling like cases of water, little flat screen TVs, things like that. We had a LLC, we got a merchant account, we built a website, and we had something like twelve thousand in revenue in one semester. Wow. Revenue, zero profit <laughs> because we had to pay people. And our biggest product was cases of water, where I would go to Costco and buy a case for five, sell it for ten. Wow. So, you know, I've always had that kind of entrepreneurial drive and hustle. Um, and then getting my license right away was just a natural fit. I was able to pay my bills at night with my like nightlife stuff and then still work on my business during the day. And I was lucky to have a few friends give me a shot. Um, and I remember a critical mass moment where I was like, hmm, I just made more in one real estate transaction than I did in an entire month working at the bar. Maybe I should lean into this a little more. Um, yeah, it's just been kind of up from there, a combination of good opportunities, people continuing to enjoy working with us, give us referrals, and some really impactful people that gave me a shot and wanted to help me learn and grow along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just been a great ride. That's awesome. So you kind of already had that, that entrepreneurial aspect growing up and just kind of already in you and someone identified that in you. Absolutely. And you kind of pursued that opportunity as well. Um, so how long have you been doing this now? Uh, so got that license in the summer of 2008 and it's now winter 2020. So I guess that's a little bit over 12 years okay. Been full time since probably like 2010. So I say about 10 years in the game all the way without like doing other stuff. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So at what point did you decide, um, to start growing a team and what has that process been like and kind of where you're at with it now? So I came to Keller Williams in 2015. Um, and for me, it was honestly driven by my desire to earn that uh, Realtor Magazine 30 Under 30 mm-hmm. honor, um, which I did ultimately in 2016. Um, and a part of coming to KW was coaching, um, and the coaching platform here is called MAPS. Um, and my first coach was amazing. Um, Gabby was her name. I'll never forget her. Um, she helped me understand that like great things can happen, and they don't have to happen with my own fingers, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, build it by their sweat, and there's so many like you know, kind of the Gary V generation where like, I will work 29 hours a day. I'm mm-hmm. never going to sleep. You can't outwork me. Um, and that can be good to get started, but it's not sustainable. And you will hit a wall of kind of natural achievement. So she helped me understand that I needed some leverage and that I needed some folks to help me to actually continue to grow and get some of my time back. Mm-hmm. 
So what was that process like? Because I know having that entrepreneurial aspect in you, it's mm-hmm. sometimes hard to let go of the yeah. control of the activity itself. Mm-hmm. What was that process kind of starting to grow your team and learning how to leverage that a little bit more? It was twofold. The first thing that I took out of my hand was contract to close, which is like the paperwork stuff, mm-hmm. which you know I'm good at and can figure out. But um, we even coach our agents and other folks I talk to now and say, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to enter data into mm-hmm. a form, right? Like you can teach people how to do that. So the, as soon as I saw someone else do it, it happened better in a more timely fashion. And I had more time to focus on the part I actually like, which is the people. That wasn't some immediate reinforcement. I'm a marketing nerd. So it was really hard for me to take my hands off of a lot of the marketing stuff and the mm-hmm. creation of it. Because um, I was a studio art major in college. I don't know mm-hmm. if we talked about that. Digital art and photography okay. and theology. Go figure. Um but by getting that same person that helped me with contract to close, they're like, well, I can help you with your marketing creation too. So when that was taken out of my hands and it looked better and it happened on a schedule, I was like, oh my God, this is, <laughs> this is magic. And the, a fear point for me was, well, I can't afford to pay people this, right? Like in real estate and entrepreneurship, when you get a check, you want to keep as much of that check in your pocket as possible. Right. But a, a big shift in my mindset that my coach Gabby helped me with is she's like, you think of this pie that's coming in. By you slicing off parts of it, it enables you to make that pie bigger, right? Mm-hmm. So it was a limiting mindset to say, I can't you know, give up a part of this gross commission income. Whereas I think of it, and she taught me to think of it as reinvesting to get even bigger pie, to get even more. Mm-hmm. So like, it was really positive reinforcement of trying it, seeing that it was okay, and then seeing that the results were good after. And then it's just continued me to like keep adding more and more steps. So it's admin first, and then other agents. Mm-hmm. And now it's our agents that have help as well. So, you know, our entity has definitely grown significantly. Um, and it's been a growth and maturity journey for me mm-hmm. to realize that it doesn't have to happen with my own hand, right? Because a lot of salespeople, it's ego. A lot of right. this is ego. And, and that can make you good, and it can go out of control. But I think when you let go a little bit of that ego and focus on like, people having the best experience and your business just operating well, you'll see that like, oh, if I get the right people in the right seats, like they actually do better than me. Right. And that's where I am now, but it's taken like a decade to get there. Yeah. Well, and then I think it's cool. You can start to see the reward of other people succeeding through whatever you've been able to kind of open the door up for them. Oh yeah. Which is awesome. Um, And I think that it kind of goes to the, the networking aspect of the power of what you ultimately like doing is being with the people and kind of, you know, whether it's a mentor, and I know Keller's, Keller Williams is really big into like the coaching and the teams, and you've been able to see other people succeed yeah. in the same exact way and kind yeah. of mock that and, and leverage that even a little bit too. Which Call is it R&D, helpful. man. Rip off and duplicate. Yep. <laughs> and, do it in yep. your own, and put your own twist on it. Absolutely. Uh, so Coalition's Properties Group, When uh, at what point, when was that started? And uh, how many people do you have on your team? And uh, what, do you, what are you guys doing out here? Sure. So we our first meeting to talk about it was actually in the fall of 2018. So okay. we're just sitting here in the fall of, or I guess, winter of 2020. Mm-hmm. So we've experienced a lot of growth really quickly. Um, and the driving force was honestly my buddy and partner, Ryan Butler. Um, Ryan, you know, is one of uh, four siblings. So he grew up with brothers and family, three or four. Sorry. I know he's got a bunch of brothers, a bunch mm-hmm. of boys. Um, where I was an only child till I was like 11. So I've always been more of like, you know, master of my own domain and right. in control of things on my own. Um, Ryan's energy has always been communal. And went from the time I encouraged him to join Keller Williams, and he actually helped me as a buyer agent early in like 2015, early. Um, he's always been like, hey, man, we should start a team. We should do something else. And I wasn't with it. I was afraid, right? I had a limiting mindset. They're like, nah, I don't need him. I can make plenty of money on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, but then 
when he encouraged another friend of ours, Keith James, to join in 2017. Um, the three of us together, it kind of intrigued me to be like, hmm, like this is definitely a different mix with kind of three personalities that are aligned but have like individual strengths but have more in common. Um, I think we could do something cool. So that first meeting in November 2018, we sat and I can send you a picture of it of us just sitting downstairs. Mm -hmm. um, and it finally came together by the winter of 2019, and we officially launched in March of 2019. Um, and it's been amazing. We now have you know five admin, um, seven agents, uh, and this year we're on track to do 200 and about 80 transactions for about 130 million in volume, which is wow. like, you know, some people don't do that in their whole career. Yeah. Um, so in only a couple years together, been able to put together a system that still operates about seventy-five percent by referral. So like we, you know, create good experiences. People keep calling us back, and in the midst of the world literally burning, right? Like mm -hmm. our, our business is better than ever, and the enthusiasm and excitement that our clients have to work with us is better than ever too. So mm -hmm. you know, I'm most excited about our agents that you know are, are on the team and that we're doing okay before, but then within our system are thriving and doing well. Um, and we were just talking before about the goal setting for 2021. Um, you know, the sky is definitely the limit with what we can do. And, and my whole mind now is just around putting the best systems in place to support those folks and, you know, make sure that they are great so that our clients are great. Mm -hmm. So um, so with that, are you actively still, I mean, are you more in the leadership role now? Or are you still actively as an agent or what's kind of your role in the team dynamic now? I do everything. No, just kidding. No. Um, 2020, <laughs> <We know. laughs> 2020 kind of because of just the abundance of stuff coming in, mm -hmm. I definitely did a lot more transactions this year, like in 2019, because of, um, as you know, I do a bunch of NAR volunteer leadership stuff mm -hmm. and I was traveling and speaking and doing a lot there. Um, I only participated in like 45 transactions in 2019. Um, this year, I'm going to finish up with like 93. Wow. Which is more than I've ever done. Yeah. Um, even even when I had my previous team, the biggest year was like 65. So wow. this was both my biggest individual production year ever. Um, and then, again, a lot of agents on our team helped with a bunch of those. But mm -hmm. um, there were quite a few that were um, the past referrals, folks I helped buy stuff that wanted to then sell and buy. Mm -hmm. um, so it was it was just a fascinating year in a lot of ways. Um, so sales has, has taken a lot of my time this year. But then in terms of my specific lane on the team, it's marketing. So I'm technically our chief marketing officer. Okay. Um, so all of the visual stuff that you see going out, all the coalition swag and T-shirts mm -hmm. and videos and, and print stuff. Um, and we had an awesome media year with some really cool stuff. Um, happened. We actually had a, a black enterprise um, gave us a shout out for being on track to get to 100 million. And that article went viral to the point where um, the, a couple like African national, like Nigerian and Ghanaian national news outlets were like sharing our post. Now, they screwed the numbers up completely because it just I guess they could dollars to whatever their currency. But uh, we've had, point. yeah, we've had yeah. a dope um, a media year. So that's yeah. been my lane is like, awesome. how do I make us look great? And how do I create um, good systems and like brochures and paper and print and social media stuff that our team can just use and plug into right. and elevate their brand to? Yeah, well, that's awesome. And even just from my perspective of kind of watching you guys from where it started and going in mm -hmm. and that's the the branding of it is the biggest piece yeah. everywhere you everywhere you look coalition property group <laughs> like, yeah. and i love it i love it <laughs> and it's funny because uh, my partner keith definitely you know the sales driver he just sells everything and people yeah. love him so much and i was somewhere i was traveling somewhere and i'm wearing my coalition shirt and they're like oh you coalition oh you work for keith and i was like <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we good, good together. So, so the brand that's is cool. awesome. That's awesome. So you're you're kind of still learning to leverage a little bit of the other stuff, but really trying to going into the new year, especially, is uh, focusing on that marketing piece and expanding Absolutely. that even further for for your team. Yeah. What's really cool to see too is, um, you know, your story of kind of you starting out in that mentorship and learning right out of the gate of leveraging some of that a little bit, and mm-hmm. then now to see that you have such a large team and you're really able to to do that on a, on a higher level and, and just keep expanding that. Uh, it's awesome. So. And coaching, I guess that's the other important part of my job is coaching up our sales team, mm-hmm. right? Checking in with them. And so much of coaching is, as you know, cause I know, um, ProTech is, is big into coaching and mm-hmm. pers- personal development. Um, is making sure your mind is right, man. And making sure that, that you're good as a person so that you can be a good salesperson, whatever right. else you do. So that's, um, something I enjoy too. We're just seeing the growth in, in our people and being able to coach them, make sure they're good. Yeah, and I think that you, I'm sure you coaching other people helps with your personal development, your coach, and making sure that, because it starts with you, if you're teaching these um, yeah. people, you know, kind of how to do that, it starts with you, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that kind of helps fuel that as well. Yep. That's awesome. Um, so, as far as where you all service, I know we're in D.C. now, obviously, mm-hmm. and you guys are based out of D.C., mm-hmm. um, but where specifically, I guess you and the team, you can kind of answer it either way, yeah. um, do you all spend most of your time uh, with what you're doing? Um, if you looked at a map of where most of our team's production is, I'd say it'd be in the both eastern quadrants of the city, so northeast okay. and southeast, um, just because I'm the longest in the business and you know my clients are growing up and kind of can afford the nicest houses, they tend to go a little bit further west into mm-hmm. parts of Northern Virginia. Um, but we are licensed in all three jurisdictions, so D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, with the majority of what we do happening in Northeast, Southeast D.C., um, and then right across both Eastern and Southern Avenue. Um, we do have an agent that lives a little bit further up county, so he's actually had a great pop of business in Frederick okay. recently. So, huh. I mean, uh, we're, we're working to build an organization that can service people everywhere, but the majority of it, let's say, is inside the Beltway. Mm-hmm. Um but again, uh, as this many people want to come into our world and be in business with us, um, it's our intention to be able to service stuff because we've had deals from Woodbridge to Frederick, Annapolis to like Ashburn mm-hmm. this year. So, and then Baltimore. And then like yeah. two of our agents went to uh, college in Baltimore. So we have a bunch of investors that are looking up there. So we can service all of those, but if the majority of it's kind of inside the here. beltway. Yeah. yeah. And how have you seen with, with this year? Um, with people, one of the things that we've kind of seen personally, but also just in talking with other agents, is mm-hmm. that the city people are moving out of the city a lot because you can find bigger houses that are a little bit more affordable because more people want more space. Are you guys seeing that a lot? Working directly in this directly in the city mostly. I wouldn't say we've got um, data to support folks leaving the city, mm-hmm. um, but I think a thing that's helped us do well this year is our foothold on what I like to call the city burbs. So mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff in Upper Northeast and Southeast are still in the city, but can give you a value opportunity with a little bit more space, a little bit more bang for your buck, because it's further from the hot anchoring amenities, which are northwest and downtown. Right. So um, I've definitely seen a, a continued surge in the areas that we were well positioned in working and living anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a little further out, I've only had like two clients directly that went from in the city to going out to the burbs. Yeah. Um, and then they've been really value focused. So some neighborhoods like Cheverly, um, parts of uh, Crownsville, if you ever heard of that. It, it's that an area that's a little bit north of Annapolis. It's okay. kind of like it is um, Bethesda. If Annapolis is D.C., like Crownsville is like Bethesda. Okay. And it's fascinating. And just because I'm, I'm a nerd and look stuff up where we go, there is the East Coast premier 
nudist family compound or community oh. in Crownsville, Maryland. Okay. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm showing property and I'm riding down and I see this big, like a uh, big, beautiful wood fence. Like, cause you know, when a fence is like nice, yeah, like something expensive it. is on the other side of it. And I look it up and it's like some weird name on the map. And I go a couple steps deeper and this is like it's the like East a coast, compound. It's, but it's a family nudist resort or nudist thing, the club. Right. Okay. And it's in Crownsville, Maryland. It, yeah. So fun fact about our area. There you go. Like the more right you know. Next door. <laughs> um, and then around the corner from it is this old abandoned mental hospital that's on like 500 acres. It's like just if you ever have a chance to ride out to Crownsville it's, and it's only you take 50 out. It's like right before and right north of Annapolis. Annapolis. So it's not huh. that far. And, and the houses, you can get some good bang for your buck with the houses. And my clients were looking there. Um, and I'm just like fascinated with everything around it. So yeah, we serve Crownsville too. Okay, so a little <laughs> bit of everywhere, a little bit of everywhere. That's awesome. A um, little bit of a fun question. Mm-hmm. So maybe you have some fun stories even from your team. But what mm-hmm. would you say the craziest thing that you've ever seen in a house has been? A little grimy, but one of my uh, one of my first <laughs> listings um, that I had in a neighborhood called Capitol Heights, Maryland, right across mm-hmm. the DC line, um, has been transitioning for years. And this is back in two thousand nine when it was at the beginning of said transition. Um, I show up for an open house uh, and there's blood on the porch. Yeah, I don't think it was human blood. It might have been animal blood, um, but it was clearly blood. Okay. Um, so I get out the hose, I rinse it off, I do the open house, and I sell it that day. See, there was nothing like weird inside. It was nothing weird inside. It had been a renovated home that I'd work with my clients on. So I, you know, I'd been around the house a lot and I show up and there's a bunch of blood and I was like, that's different. Um, But, you know, the the little story and lesson there is the client that ended up buying it at the time it was only $199 for like a six bedroom, three and a half bath, 3,000 square foot house, right? Really nice. Um, And some people would have judged the neighborhood or said like, oh, I don't want to live here because of x reason right um my client that purchased it had been renting in the neighborhood and just needed more space for her family um we helped her buy it back in 2009 and she called us back in 2018 to sell it and move up and we sold it for her for like 330 so and i mean she just barely was able to qualify and get it at 199 but then the over hundred thousand dollars of equity she was able to use from that she moved out of the area but i mean that's like the story I tell to all my agents all the time is like, don't let anything about a house or a neighborhood or mm-hmm. your your assumptions or those things prevent you from like servicing people there because that house is like the groundwork to someone's financial future and you're yeah. a part of it. And even if there's a little blood on the porch, you just rinse yeah, it off and keep going. It off. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't look around. I didn't make the sure you know, there, there was not a dead person anywhere close by. <laughs> right. But that's always a, a story I tell because that was. That was interesting. Yeah, a little scary too. Like, (laughs) what happened here? What happened here? That's crazy. Um, So, getting a little bit into kind of the process of buying a home, selling a home. Mm -hmm. If I'm looking to purchase a home, and I know that you work with a lot of investors, so the Mm -hmm. answer sometimes can be a little different. But generally speaking, what would you say the most important thing that I would need to know would be? I think you really got to be sure in your budget and capacity Um, because right now, especially in competitive markets, it's really easy for people to say, well, if I just go a little bit higher, then I can get what I want. Mm -hmm. Or if if I just push it a little bit more. So a lot of our process with buyers is making sure they're 100% solid in those numbers first and working with somebody, an agent and a lender that can help explore all programs and all money available to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's way too easy now, especially with all the, the business of beautiful homes and mm-hmm. all the beautiful things in homes that people want for folks to get addicted to shiny and more expensive and nice. Um, but the better people are focused on that comfortable budget and the better they're working with someone that can help them see the best they can get for that budget, the better they're going to be because you're always going to be 
you know, slightly disappointed or wanting a little bit more or mm-hmm. just pushing it a little bit more mm-hmm. unless you're secure in that budget. So it's kind of a boring answer, but I think folks need to mm-hmm. know and be sure in their numbers and their capacity. Right. And we always describe it as a Venn diagram where like the house you get is the overlap between your capacity and your desire. Mm. Right. The desire side is all the way here. Of course, you always want the thing that's more expensive. Right. But I think what we pride ourselves on and do well is setting that expectation about what your capacity actually gets you. Mm-hmm. And hopefully slowing you down from this like dreaming or wanting to make the more expensive thing, especially in the market now, right. be in your budget because right. it's just not right. It's just yeah, a waste of the envelope. It's a that. waste of emotion and energy to be like, oh, but if that you know that that five hundred k one would just come down a hundred grand. Yeah. Like I had someone say that to me, and I was like, that's gonna be your approach. You need to pause right here. Yeah. Um, or even bigger, like folks in the first console dreaming about all the shiny fancy stuff they want in the house and their credits jacked up. I was like that <laughs> wrong order, right? Yeah. And I will I will be your fiercest budget defender and a little bit of a dream killer early because the better focused you are, the more accomplished you will be when you actually get something you can comfortably yeah. afford. Yeah. Well, that's super smart because, you know, I'm sure those are on a lot of times not the most easy conversation to have yeah. with people, but at the same time in the end of it, they appreciate it the most yeah. because they're not pushing that envelope and going further and ultimately that can, you know, change lots of other things in their life, not just where they're living, you know people being house poor and things like that. So I think that that just really shows you having the best interest in 100%. your clients and their lifestyle. Well, and some people now, especially with a lot of the limited service and or kind of disruptor folks that come into the market that just tell clients yes immediately, mm-hmm. um, they get angry or don't want to work with us or say, hey, if you're not going to show me this or, or, or you know, in, indulge me in my dream, right? then I'm going to go somewhere else. And we're like, Good luck. God yeah. bless. We'll be here when you're ready. Because yeah. like you're, you're, you're not helping yourself with that, and that is a challenging convo. Mm-hmm. But there's a line between like the education point, um, communicating, and being condescending, right? Mm-hmm. So it, like so much of what we do is about how we communicate, mm-hmm. and that's what I've learned over the years is just like you have to deliver something in a both respectful and thoughtful way, um, with making it clear that their best interests are in heart, right? Um, and not just mine. Because if you buy a more expensive house, I'll make more money. Mm-hmm. But if you're not well positioned to like afford that house or be in that house or you start chasing houses you can't buy and you're like emotionally destroyed that doesn't help anybody yeah and ultimately i'm not helping you if i'm letting you do that yeah yeah yeah, absolutely um so how about on the flip side of that if i'm deciding to sell my home what Mm -hmm. would be the most important thing that i would need to prepare for in this market i think buyers are emotional as the world is right now Mm -hmm. because it's all over the place and while they're i like to describe it with a lot of our seller clients as kind of feast or famine i think if you're hitting both the price and condition correct, people will come fight over it and bid it up. Mm-hmm. If you are slightly off in either that price position or that condition, you will sit for a while. And that's the hardest thing we've had to deal with with some of our sellers now by just slightly missing the target. What I say is the target hasn't really changed. It's just gotten a little smaller, right? right? And if you, if you hit it right, you're good. Um, if you don't, you sit and wait. And it's not always... Um, you know, sometimes it is the choice of the sellers, but there are other factors that come into things like this too. Um, mm-hmm. Like some of our condos, more beautiful luxury condos that were expensive because of all the stuff right outside of their front door. People are questioning that right now, mm-hmm. right? And they're, they're not maybe willing to pay that top dollar for a box on top of all the nicest restaurants that and bars and that you can't go into. Yeah. So I think sellers just need to be, you know, both honest with themselves, hopefully, and listen to an agent that will be straightforward with them about like the exact overlap between price, condition, location, and current 
market conditions. Right. Because um, if you if you're slightly off with that price, or the the bigger problem is when people make assumptions that it is so hot that they don't have to do the right things to prep the home for market or make it look mm-hmm. better. Like oh, it doesn't matter. I'll just put it on and people come fight over it. It's like no. It's like you have to both price it well and make sure the condition is good, and that's when you get the results that you need. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think that's um, kind of goes into my next question about like the current market mm-hmm. and what it's like. And yeah. you know, I think for a lot of people, maybe some people are thinking about buying or buying or, or selling but yeah. not unsure because it is such a interesting time yeah um how would i know when the best time to buy or sell would be again i think for most folks on the buy side it does have to start kind of with your personal financial ability your job security mm-hmm. things you know like that's that's kind of the, the scariest thing right now right mm-hmm. is, is knowing um what my financial future is going to look like. We're really fortunate in our area that we have a lot of stable industries, which is why our market's continuing to boom mm-hmm. because the jobs are still here and, and they haven't gone for the most part and they're higher educated, higher paying jobs than a lot of places in the country. Mm-hmm. So people are asking like why are our price is so high. I think it's supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Um, and those that have the demand and want it are well qualified and got money. So right. like, it, you know, that's, just period. Um, so like, is now a good time to buy is a question that we get a lot. Um, I think the cost of the money um, is something that's motivating a lot of people with low interest rates mm-hmm. relative to the really high rents that we have in the area. When folks sit and do the math between what I could afford in rental and what I could afford with purchasing and then the ownership benefits between taxes, appreciation, and a lot of other those factors, the decision is pretty straightforward for a lot of folks that it does make more sense to buy. But if folks are kind of transient and they don't know where they'll be i say the minimum of ownership time even if it's not living time but ownership time should be three to five years Mm -hmm. Um, if you're participating in bidding wars and things are getting pushed up significantly over list price that just extends that ownership horizon even further Mm -hmm. because if we know our appreciation in dc has been you know 1.75 to 2 percent which is just nuts right Mm -hmm. then that just means if you're overpaying overpaying paying over for a house by five or six percent yeah it's a couple more years so i mean yeah, it, it, hopefully that wasn't a dancing around it. There's no easy it. answer. There's no easy answer. Like yeah. I'd say for most people, when they crunch their numbers and know their situation, mm-hmm. the math makes sense. Mm-hmm. If the math makes sense, then you got to get with someone and be working with someone that can help set your expectations on what you can afford. Right. Um, arguably right now, even with the higher prices because of the lower cost of money, y- your dollar can go pretty far to get right. things. But it doesn't go farther for like the hottest, most popular commodities, which for us have been single family homes, things with outdoor space, things with a little bit of yard, Mm -hmm. right? Things that are still within the city limits, um, but not like crazy far away, because we see most people just be willing to go a little bit farther, not like out to the sticks. Um, And, you know, things are in good condition. Because one other thing is folks looking at fixer uppers right now and projects, renovation projects, the cost of materials and the cost of labor and the logistics of labor are more expensive, right? Because what what, what has to happen when a house gets renovated? A lot of people got to be inside a room working mm-hmm. on something sweating so you gotta spread it out a little bit more you gotta spread it or like because we did it we're, are we participate in some flips and investments as partners mm-hmm. um and we had a couple COVID outbreaks on our now no one died or anything but that stopped our work right. for a while and when work's not happening and i got You're losing borrowed money. money yeah so like that whole you know idea of the property brothers fixer up or i can mm-hmm. buy it at one price no you just can't and then investors now are are super hungry to buy and renovate and bring back to market finished product renovated single family homes because that the market is so hungry for that right now and inventory is still so tight. 
Right. So from the investment standpoint, because prices are still high, Mm -hmm. but interest rates are low, Mm -hmm. you can get more for less ultimately and make more when if you're say you're keeping it to rent it out. What would your advice be on that? Um, I guess I guess the question would be is how long are you going to stay there Mm -hmm. in the sense of does it make sense to push that envelope a little bit on the price because your monthly payment is lower? Um, the other metric to look at there is for the area that you buy in, like we, one of the neighborhoods we specialize in is Michigan Park and Riggs Park in Northeast DC. Mm -hmm. That's where I bought my first home five years ago and I just bought another investment property last week there. Uh, And I've helped more, I just looked up a stat the other day, in the last five years, the number one buyer agent for that neighborhood in terms of people I've helped. Um, in that same five year period, when I was helping people back in 2016, 2015, homes were 350. Today, a couple just traded over 650. So, like, if you look at the appreciation and what's happened, all my clients, they are happy. But mm-hmm. it's just what I did. I, I bought one there first. I'm like, oh, this looks cool. It's, it's a park. There's metro. There's some stuff being built. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you are buying in an area like that, right, that has room to still grow and has shown a track record of appreciation, then paying a premium now can make sense. Right. Um, we don't have a crystal ball, and we can't assume that prices will still keep skyrocketing. But a conversation I always have with my agents and clients is look at the city median for whatever that asset class the person is trying to buy. Mm-hmm. So for single family homes right now, it's like high sevens. It's like it was like 730 last year. It's up around like 760, 775 this mm-hmm. year. In that home, in that neighborhood, a single family home now caps out at 650. A grandma special or fixer upper, 450 to 500. When you've got that equity room in between, that buffer is what can protect you in case of changes in the future, right? right? Like if I'm not paying at the top, like in that neighborhood, I would not recommend going Same to pay like 800 right now, right. right? Like in any market, like don't set the precedent, don't be the most expensive house ever sold, yeah. right? Like period. But if you can get into a place where there is some cushion, there's some things happening, there's other actual comps mm-hmm. and not just speculation on what's coming, but what has actually sold, that's where you can kind of protect that investment and, and feel a little more confident in paying a premium because that money is cheaper mm-hmm. and the there's no more dirt in DC, right? right? Like especially with single family, like you legit, there's no more dirt. There's no more land. Yeah. You have a small geographic area and a lot of people that want to live in it. So, you know, the, those metrics I think don't change and kind of insulate and protect a lot of our clients when they're like valuating what they should spend and do. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, so there's a lot of moving pieces as mm-hmm. we've already kind of discussed. What would you say your favorite aspect of this industry is overall? Um, buying a house is, is intimate. Right. In the sense of, you know, not in other sense, but like in, in an emotional and like mm-hmm. it's a very personal thing to people. Um, and there's nothing cooler to me than when a client walks in the house, um, sees it and they're like, oh, this is the one. Mm-hmm. Like it's like that that, that moment, of, you know, it's kind of trite to say like falling in love or whatever. Right. Um, and they like it. And I've seen it on both sides. I've seen it where they like it and they go for it and they get their butt kicked in a bidding war. Um, so seeing that whole process of, you know, love, remorse, um, settling or finding or whatever, because, mm-hmm. you know, to me that that moment, like to be invited in, to be a part of that moment. And they look at you and they say, well, what do I have to do to get it? Mm-hmm. Like, help, help me mm-hmm. get this house. That's, like, a, big, that's a big thing. It's a big deal. It's a big yeah. deal. And just because of my age, and I'm 34. Yeah, I'm 34. A bunch of my friends have had their first kids and they're on the second kid now. So like being able to see, you know, they were just a young couple and now this is like the family and their family pictures are in this house. Mm-hmm. And like they send us postcards um, of, of them sitting on their front porch. And this is like you remember like what your childhood home like meant to you. Yeah. Like I get to be a part of this 
memory and this legacy for for these folks for a long time in their life. And that's yeah. that's cool to be a part of it. And so much of our business being about referral and like celebrating their wins and our cool closing time pictures and all mm-hmm. the stuff we do. Um, you know, we help them create uh, both beautiful pictures and some other good stuff to remember that yeah. that win by too so that's and generational that too generational. for children and for other people too and for folks that have come up on a house you know that have come up significantly in equity and then use that first house mm-hmm. to have the kids college fund or buy the next house or buy an investment like that's that's the coolest part to me yeah. um, and again we get paid to do it right which is like stupid you, like, get, like, <laughs> you know it's so fun and so rewarding yeah. and you get and yeah. it's a career and yeah. it's something that yeah. you can uh, live your life on too so yeah. and then one and one if I can be transparent about one challenge mm-hmm. is we start to help more and more people um, not having as close of connection personally with all the clients was something that was kind of weird to me. But then it's been awesome to think of ways through our marketing, through our events, to give people that same warmth and attention and make it personalized and like make sure that the direct agent that was working with them on the team takes that same effort to follow mm-hmm. up. And, lo- and it's to the point now where one of my um, direct reports and I- Isaiah Hasward, who's an mm-hmm. agent that's been with me for years now, um, he is now getting referrals, reviews, friendship and love from folks that were my clients. That's awesome. So to see that, like, pass on him still do the same job, like, mm-hmm. that's that's really cool, too. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, so switching gears a little bit, let's talk about uh, a really challenging time for you mm-hmm. and how you overcame it. And this could be professionally or yeah. even personally. Yeah. Um, well, the two quick professional stories that come up were we talked about that 30 under 30 honor mm-hmm. um, that I did get in 2016, but I didn't get it in uh, 2015 when I came here. And I'm a, you know, relatively successful guy, goal-driven. I kind of manifest what I want in life. I don't like, fail often. Um, I took that real personal because I that was that was my fourth time applying that year and not getting it. Um, and it just sucked because I didn't, I didn't lose often. Um, mm-hmm. And that was kind of my epiphany. I got married that year. We bought our first house that year. I was doing all these other things and winning. And then um, I'm on my honeymoon, and I get the email that says, sorry, you didn't get it. And I'm like, what? No, this was like the year. I was the one. I was the guy. Um, but then that encouraged me to like both look at the brokerage change, hire the coach, do a lot of things. Like that one loss propelled me to look closer and look internal, right? Before that, when I would like lose or miss out on stuff, which wasn't often, I'd look out at other people and blame, like, oh, it was them or those a-holes or this right. or that. But I looked introspectively and said, nah, it's not about them. In this case, it's about me. So when I apply for this next year, which was my uh, my last year, when I was 29, about to be 30, I'm like, I'm going to put such a good package together. They have no choice mm-hmm. but to pick me. Mm-hmm. And having that mindset and approach um, changed so many things for me. And, like, my business growth grew so much that year. That's when I got leverage. And, you know, it, it just mm-hmm. changed a lot of things about um, how I approach things and uh, that's kind of helped my mindset since. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, just last year, I had a ridiculous opportunity with a, a 14 million plus buyer that found me off of Yelp. <laughs> yeah, wow. which I thought was a spam. I uh, thought it was fake and yeah. I, I worked with them for a while. Um, but then towards the end, just because of kind of some of my negative self-talk and thinking that I wasn't qualified or like, I don't know rich people like this or, you know, mm-hmm. who's this? You know, so black kid from the burbs is not walking around with these you know, multi-million dollar mm-hmm. top listing DC agents. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm not qualified. I don't deserve to be there. Um, and I did, and the folks liked me. Um, but at the end of the day, because of my <clears throat> trepidation, intimidation, negative self-talk, and fear, um, I lost that client. We ended up writing a couple offers and not getting things. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of my lack of ability to get results for them um, and my slower follow-up, they fired me. Um, and even after they fired me, I got the courage to call them back and say, like, hey, you know, I'm sorry this went down, you know, X, Y, Z, like, here are all the things, here's what I was going through, here's what I was thinking. Um, and he assured me, he was like, no, it was never about, like, you not being qualified. Mm-hmm. Um, you just stopped showing the same effort before. Mm-hmm. So the learning point there was that <clears throat> I was qualified, I was well positioned to do it, I was doing a good job, but I got in my own way mm-hmm. and in my own head and missed out on what was a high six-figure opportunity for me right. and the team. And the bigger pain point there was not the missed commission income for me, but the missed revenue opportunity for the group and for everybody else, like what that could mean for my partners and the admins mm-hmm. and everybody else. So I, I learned a lot. That was a year ago exactly. Um, but then with that loss, it propelled me to just do even better and put, you know, pay direct attention and do all the follow-up stuff I needed to. Mm-hmm. And then this year has been my best year ever by a lot. So, mm-hmm. you know. Well, Two learning experiences. With, with, with both of those experiences, too, they both have similar outcomes in the sense that you looked internally. Yeah. And I think for so many, like, that's a that's a big a big yeah. thing for you to take that, the 30 under 30 experience, yeah. which if you think about it, you know, you look back and you're like, not that big of a deal that I lost, but big deal because it was a, yeah. a, a, a pivot for you to look internally because it is so easy to... To look outside, you know, well, why didn't they qualify me? Like, that's, yeah. you know, bull crap. I did this and I did mm-hmm. that and I, you know, worked my ass off. But um, that's why you're able to keep going forward and just and moving that is because you're looking inside of yourself and what you could do Absolutely. differently. That's a really good, mm-hmm. good life lesson. There's a... Um from Pharrell's album, Girl, like the album that had Happy on it, which was mm-hmm. like, was that 2015? Mm-hmm. Um Oh, gosh, I think the song is Lost Queen. And at the end of it, it's got like like two minutes of silence. And then the last couple lyrics say something. And a lyric that I repeat all the time from him is that you've got to go inward to experience the outer space that was meant for you. Mm. You got to go inward to experience the outer space that was meant for you. That's how I think of facing challenges all the time. It's like, ain't about them, man. It's about mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. you know, because that's what I can control. Yeah, there's a um, a really good book called Extreme Ownership. Oh yeah, Jocko Willingham. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. great book. That yeah. was um, a big book for me, along that same journey of it's always mm-hmm. your it's always your responsibility yep. as a leader, no matter what. Yep. It doesn't matter. Yep. And that's a really hard. That's a really easy thing to read and learn and get, mm-hmm. but you don't really get it until you have to apply it. You gotta live and it. And that's the bigger challenge. And in all stuff now, difficult clients, difficult personal situations, anything like that kind of ownership and facing it and facing the hardest conversations first mm-hmm. is what just helps you be great and move on. Um, okay, so let's say that I'm your next prospective client. Why mm-hmm. should I call you? Local expertise, strategy, vibe. Right. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people like the thing we sell in addition to the reputation that precedes us from the sales and records is community. Um, and even through pandemic, I think that's been one of the bigger driving factors is like people um, they work with the coalition properties agent. They know they're plugged into a community that is connected to a lot of folks in a lot of different places in life. When events come back around that throws the best events, mm-hmm. period, mm-hmm. they are lit. 
and awesome. Mm-hmm. And there's always a charitable component that is helping the community in ways too. Um, so that's you know what I want people to know and think about us is that you know you're getting the results from the sales side, just from our strategy, and you're getting plugged into this great community that needs more and more people. And as it continues to grow and thrive, and you know be this awesome diverse mixing pot of folks, um, that's that's our biggest value is that yeah. community. Yeah, absolutely. What's the uh, best way to reach out to you? Phone number, email, you're on social media. What's the best way to contact either you or and or the team? So our uh, Instagram is where we, we spend the most of our social media efforts. Uh, Coalition Properties, at Coalition Properties is their page. And then my personal page is at HL Beach, like the beach you swim in. Awesome. Thank you, Harrison. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Thank you, Lexi. Absolutely. All Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Pro Talk with ProTech. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow ProTech Inspection Services on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn.